Well, wonderful to see you here at the five o'clock service. We are beginning a new series for this month of March. You can find it there on page four if you've got your Revival Times. And um, it's called The Ministry of the Priesthood of All Believers. 1 Peter chapter 9, verse 8 is the key scripture. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Think of that. You are a royal priesthood. You're not just a priest, you're royal, you're, you're, you're kingly, you're a kingly priest, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The revelation of the fact that we are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, is something that should be part of the ABCs of being a Christian. But when we start talking about priest priesthood, um, so many people get s such the wrong idea about it. If you've come from a, uh, a Roman Catholic background or something like that, and I start mentioning the priesthood, immediately you think about people's collars, you think about the priest that does the mass, that takes confession, and we are not talking about that at all. We are talking, and the title is, Priesthood of All Believers. Whether you're male, female, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. If you're a believer, you are a priest. And, and that's, what, that's our main ministry. Whatever else you do for the Lord, your main ministry is to be a priest. A priest to God and a priest to man. And what does that mean? Well, we're going to unpackage this over the four weeks. But it basically means this. Do you know your first priestly ministry is to God? And if we got hold of this, because we haven't, we, our worship life would be revolutionized. We wouldn't sing songs to God and, you know, as a heartfelt, we would understand that we are actually ministering to the Lord in a more powerful way than the great high priests and Levites did. We are ministering to the Lord. It makes a difference to him when we worship him, when we praise him, when we give. And that's what changes the anointing of worship. If there is an anointing on a worship time, it's because people are exercising their priestly ministry. If there's not an anointing, if it's just nice music, good singing, good singing, but there's no anointing, it's because the priestly anointing hasn't kicked in. We're just singing songs. That's why you can get pop stars, can't you? And they'll sing a gospel song. Amazing ability. Zero anointing. Why? Because they're not ministering to the Lord. Or you can get somebody who's got very little gifting. And they pick up that mic and they sing to the Lord. And it might not have very big gifting. But because it's got such an anointing of priestly ministry to the Lord. That it's got power all over it. And we need the restoration of that. We really do. We haven't even touched priestly anointings uh, as, as where God wants to take us as a church right now. That is the key. And not only are we a priest to God, firstly, we're here to minister to him above all things and above all people, but we are secondly priests to the nation, priests to those that don't know God. Because a priest is there to minister to God on behalf of man, and to minister to man on behalf of God. Priestly intercession. 
to go to God on behalf of man and to go to man on behalf of God. So in, in the, uh, has someone got a prayer diary? Can I have a prayer diary? Oh, sorry. Has anyone got a prayer diary in this place? We're only launching them today. So. Make sure you've all, have you all got one of these? Stewards, can you hand these out? This is for everybody. Hand them out again, stewards, please. Everybody, even if you're just a visitor, take one of these. It's also, if you prefer PDFs, they're also up on the internet on our homepage. You can download it as a PDF. And Colin says in his welcome, he says that uh, we are all priests to this great city of London. We stand before God on behalf of the city in intercession but we also stand before the city on behalf of God in evangelistic proclamation. So this is great. And this prayer diary, this is the engine of our prayers in the church right through June. We've totally changed it. It, It's what God is saying to us right now. And our early morning prayer meetings, Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, 6.30 to 8.30, we pray from the diary. Wednesday evenings, we pray from the diary. This is for our cells, cell leaders. Make sure you've got one of these for all your cell members. And so as cell leaders, you're encouraging and, and, and checking that your cell members are praying each day and using this in their personal life, with their Bible reading as well. But also, in every cell meeting, you should be opening this up and seeing what we're praying for and have that element of prayer in your cell. Because, you know, in the end, I mean, I wrote this thing, but in the end, you know, it can just be put down and left and ignored, can't it? You know, But it is a tool in the hand, so if we use this and utilize it, it means that we could have thousands of people every morning all over the city and our friends who've got this from the internet all over the world praying the same things. We're going to get a breakthrough. And Colin has prophesied that there is going to be a breakthrough in this ministry this year, but he also said... I believe that the Holy Spirit has designated 2014 as a year of breakthrough for Kensington Temple London City Church. This is good news, but it's also a great challenge to us. Breakthroughs come through united, concentrated prayer and intercession. They just don't happen by themselves. Amen? So be encouraged. This is a tool in our hands. So we are priests to God and priests to man. And we're going to be looking today at the ministry of the great high priest, Jesus, and the order of priests that we are in. Then, late, then next week, we're going to look at the fact that you are a priest and what that means in more detail. Then our priestly ministry to God, and then our RT is going to come and minister to us on a special, and then our priestly ministry to the world. I'd like you to turn with me to... Genesis, Genesis chapter 14 and verse 17. I'm going to introduce you to the priestly order that you are a member of if you are a believer here today. You are not a Levite priest, but we have a whole new order of priests that you are a member of. And this comes the first time we meet a priest of this order is in Genesis 14. Um, Lot has been stolen and the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah have been plundered and Abraham goes and rescues his son and he's got all the plunder of Sodom and Gomorrah and in verse 17 it says the king of Sodom went to meet him at the valley of Shavar 
after his return from the defeat of Shedolama and the kings who were with him, then, now listen to this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the, to the Lord, God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, and I will take nothing from you, should you say I've made Abraham rich. This is amazing because Abraham... He is the Old Testament model of the New Testament believer. I don't need to go through Romans chapter 4 and Paul again and again, also in Galatians, says Abraham is our father. We who believe in Christ are Abraham's descendants. We are inheritors with Abraham. Abraham's our model. When you look at Abraham's life, uh, the good things he did is a model, model for us to follow and the bad things are warning. And Romans chapter 4 says... We who believe walk in the footsteps of Abraham. So in other words, the way God treats Abraham is the way that he treats us today. And therefore, whatever Abraham does is extremely significant for the Christian life. And in this story, there is an extreme significance that we will see. Abraham has rescued Lot. And on his way, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah wants to find him and wants to say, you can keep all the wealth that you've taken. He wants to enrich him. But before the king of Sodom gets to Abraham, this person comes out of Salem. That's Jerusalem, the old name for Jerusalem. His name is Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. He brings out bread and wine, and he is the priest of God Most High. There were many priests at this time, but this priest was the priest of God Most High, the only God. And he blesses Abraham. And Abraham tithes to him. He blesses Abraham and he says, you are Abraham of God Most High. All of a sudden we see something special. This is the priest of Abraham. There were many priests at this time and many false gods. But out comes the priest with bread and wine, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of Salem, Jerusalem. Bread and wine, he ministers to Abraham. And, he's, and basically, he's, he's like the priest of God Most High. And he says, blessed be Abraham of God Most High. They have the same God. Abraham has now come face to face with his priest. And you know that he accepts Melchizedek as his, as his priest. Why? Because his reaction is to tithe. You see, tithing, who you tithe to in the Old Testament world, is the priesthood that you recognize. So later on, when we see the Levites came, you paid your tithes. Under the law, you had to give your tithes to the Levitical priests. It was a tax, really. And you paid your tithe to the Levite priests. Why? Because they were your priests. If you were from another country or you weren't a, a Jew, you wouldn't pay tithes to the Levites. You would give to your own priests. So the fact that Abraham recognized this high priest of God, and he recognized by giving him a tenth. 
It's interesting, not only did Abraham tithe, but do you know that also Jacob tithed? Isaac tithed, you see that? It doesn't say who they tithed to. Jacob says, if you do this for me, I will tithe. Well, who do you think Jacob tithed to? He'd have found the priest of his father in the order of Melchizedek. That, that, that's where he would have gone. Now, that might be interesting in the Old Testament, but what does it have to do in the New Testament? Well, the incredible thing is this, is that Jesus is a high priest. He's not a high priest in the, in, uh, in the law, like a Levite. He, wasn't, he was descended from the tribe of Judah, wasn't he? Jesus could never have been a priest in the temple at Jerusalem because he came from Judah, not the house of Levi. But the New Testament teaches us that Jesus, nevertheless, is a high priest. So if it's not the Levitical order, it must be another priesthood. And that other priesthood, as we will see, is what we've just read in Genesis. It is the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. Let's have a look in Hebrews chapter 5. All this is important because you're a priest in the order of Melchizedek too, and we'll be looking at that in the coming weeks. So I, I need to let you know what this priesthood and what the high priest is all about. Hebrews chapter 5. And verse 5, talking about Christ as a high priest. Hebrews 5, 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. He also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of you got it, Melchizedek, we just read, and then goes on, who in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up prayers and supplications and vehement cries to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. You see, he is exercising priestly intercession in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So immediately we see that, hey, Jesus, he's not just saviour, healer, redeemer, deliverer, he is also high priest. But not a high priest under the law of Moses, not a high priest descended from Levi, he is in a totally, utterly different order of priesthood. Let's stay in Hebrews for a while and go to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 1. There's a, there's a huge passage here, a huge passage on the priesthood of Melchizedek compared to the priesthood of Levi. I'm going to read it to you because this is not just a little doctrine, this is at the heart of the gospel. Remember, Jesus is, right, verse, chapter 7, verse 1, we've just read the story. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first translated king of righteousness, that's what Melchizedek means, and also king of Salem, meaning king of 
peace, king of Salem, or you could pronounce it king of Shalom. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning or days nor end of life, but made like the Son of Man, remains a priest continually. What does that mean? It just means that in the story of this great high priest, we don't know where he came from, we don't know who his father was, we don't know who his ancestors were, and we don't know who came after him. He sort of appears and disappears. He has no beginning, and he has no end. Now, there are two views of who this Melchizedek was that Abraham met. Some believe that it was a, a human priest of God at that time that came out. We just don't know who his dad was. He had a dad. We just don't know who it was. We don't know who his child was. He had some. We just don't know. But it's what he represents. But some people believe, and I, I tend to, to believe this, uh, although you can believe, I, I tend to Some believe that this was a manifestation of the Son of God himself, a pre-incarnation manifestation. You know when sometimes the Lord appears, like the Son of Man in the fiery furnace, one like the Son of Man, that this is Christ, this is God, come, this is Jesus, if you like, coming in a pre-incarnation and just appearing as the Son of Man in this role, coming, giving, and going away. And I like that. I, I think that may be the case, but either, either work. But this priesthood there has no beginning, no ends. It's eternal. Reading on. Now consider how great this man, verse 4, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, now we're comparing this order of priesthood with the Levitical order of Moses under the law. We're comparing them now. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them tithes from Abraham and blesses received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What is this talking about? It's talking about the fact that the order of the Melchizedek priesthood is far, far superior than that under the law of Levi. And what he's saying is this, hey, even Abraham, to whom the promises were given, recognized this authentic high priest of the Most High. How do you know he recognized it? He tithed to him, saying, you are my priest. And then he says, you know what? It's a little bit like this. In a sense, Levi also tithed to Melchizedek because although he hadn't been born yet, he was, if you like, in the generations of Abraham to come. Do you know what I'm saying? Abraham would have children, they'd have children, and out of that line would come Levi. So it's a picture saying, well, you know, when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, all his descendants tithe to Melchizedek. Do you hear what I'm saying? Including Levi. Now, the one that blesses is always greater than the one that gets blessed. 
So when the high priest blessed Abraham, you know, if Abraham was greater than the high priest, he'd have blessed him. You hear what I'm saying? So the high priest blessed because he was greater than Abraham. And Abraham recognized his priesthood by giving him the tithe. Not only Abraham, but all his descendants tithed. If Levi had been alive at that moment, guess what he would have done? Tithed to Melchizedek. Recognized a greater priesthood. You hear what I'm saying? Just out of interest, the reason that we still teach the principle of tithing today for Christians, we're not teaching the principle of paying your tithes like a tax to Levi. We're not under the law anymore. We don't. The tithe of the law does not apply to us. But because we are descendants, not like Levi of the flesh, but descendants of Abraham spiritually, therefore we encourage people to tithe to their great high priest, Jesus. When you give your tithes and offerings, when you give your tithe, you're not giving it to the church. The church is using it for the gospel, but actually spiritually you're bringing it to, the, to, to Jesus, Melchizedek, in heaven, just as Abraham did that day. That's why we tithe. You say, do I have to tithe? You don't have to do anything. You're not under law. But, but if you... If you um, okay, I just need to... These things happen. It's, it's a lovely ringtone, I must say. <laughs> don't worry, Monica... There we go. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. Hey, were you here last time when R.T. Kendall's went off? When, on, when um, I was with him in our headquarters with a lot, of the, a lot of leaders from different churches, and he was ministering to them, and, and he got up to minister to them, and then a phone went off. And guess whose phone it was? R.T.'s. And it was Lyndon on the end of it again. So that was quite interesting. That was quite funny, actually. Anyway, what I'm saying is this. You don't have to do anything. You're not under law. You're under grace. But, but there are principles of blessing. You don't have to pray, but you won't get the blessings of prayer. You don't have to tithe to Melchizedek. But number one, you won't get the blessings of tithing. God will still bless you, but not like he will if you tithe. Just as God will bless you, but not like he will if you pray. You know what I'm saying? And also, you miss one of the greatest acts of worship. To tithe to the priest, it's your recognition. But anyway, that's, that's really an aside, but I just thought I'd put that there because a lot of Christians don't understand why they're tithing or should they tithe? Is it law or is it grace? If we tithe, we tithe according to Abraham and his spiritual seed. So we see it's a greater priesthood, a greater priesthood. And then it moves on to speak about, and I won't go into it because I've got to measure this right, it goes on to speak that the Levitical priesthood was constantly changing because the priests of Levi were constantly dying because even the Levitical priests were still under the law of sin and death. That's why they had to have another one. Why? Because somebody died. And then it speaks about the fact that, that the beautiful thing is that the priesthood of Melchizedek never changes. That's why I believe it was Jesus that was there in a pre-incarnation manifestation to Abraham. Because this priest never dies. This priest never fades away. Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father in his high priest role. And so it's a far better permanent 
priesthood than the Levitical priesthood, which has in fact passed away when Jesus died on the cross and fulfilled the law. And then later on, we see verse 17, for he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then again in verse 21, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant because he continues forever as an unchangeable priesthood, 25. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. So you say, what is Jesus doing? What has Jesus been doing for the last 2,000 years? He has been operating as the high priest. He is, he is not in some temple in Jerusalem or some tabernacle, but he is in a tabernacle not made by hands, Hebrews says. He is in the real thing. The temple and tabernacle of Moses, that, that was like a scaled-down model of heavenly things. You know what I'm talking about? Scaled-down model. But it couldn't really do anything. But Jesus, he's not in the scaled-down model. Right now, he's in the Holy of Holies. And the Levitical high priest could go into the Holy of Holies how many times? Once a year. He could minister once a year. And hopefully, he wouldn't die when he did it. They had special, he had bells on his skirts so that they could hear him walking around in the Holy of Holies. So they could see he's still alive, he's still alive. But if the bell stopped, they know that God had rejected that high priest and they had a big pole with a hook on the end to put it in the Holy of Holies because nobody could go in and pull him out. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't just go into the Holy of Holies one day a year, but he's there every moment since he ascended into heaven. He is in the Holy of Holies right now. Not a copy of the Holy, Holy, of, Holy of Holies, not a model of the Holy of Holies. He is in the Holy of Holies of his Father, and right now he is praying and interceding for you. That's a priesthood. That's a high priest. And he's not making new sacrifices, bringing a lamb or an ox or a goat or anything like that. No, there is one sacrifice. And that sacrifice, that one sacrifice, he is not only high priest, he is sacrifice. And when he was died on the cross for the sins of the world, the power of that blood still speaks today before the Father. High priest and sacrifice. It is exciting. Now, this order of Melchizedek, let's go to Acts chapter 15, 16, because I want, I want to take you down, I just feel to go down this way, there's different ways I could go, but I just feel, go down this way. You can see in Hebrews, it's what, what Hebrews is basically saying is this, because the people are about to backslide, the letter of Hebrews to Jewish Christians, they, they, they're taking so much pressure and persecution by their own people. They can't take it anymore. And they said, you know what? I think I'll go back. I think I'll go back. It'll be easier to go back. And the author of Hebrews, who is either Paul or one of Paul's disciples, says, don't do it. Don't go back. But it's so much pressure. If I just go back, it'll be easier. Don't go back. Why would you go back to the, to the law when you've got grace? Why would you go back to Levi when you've got Melchizedek? This is a better covenant with a better 
priesthood, a better sacrifice, a better holy of holies. It's altogether better because it's altogether a better priesthood. Now, look at Acts chapter 15 and verse 16, sorry. This, This is at the Council of Jerusalem. Paul has just come back from the first missionary to the Gentiles, and Gentiles are getting saved in their hundreds and thousands, and and some of the Jewish believers are saying they need to be circumcised. They they need to follow the law. They they need to come under the law. They need Levi as their priests. They need to tithe to Levi. They need to make sacrifices at the temple. These new Gentiles that got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, they need to become Jewish and obey the law just like us. And this is the discussion that they're having in Jerusalem. And in the end, they say, no, they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to follow the law. God has cleansed their hearts by faith and given them the Holy Spirit without circumcision. They are sanctified. This is important. And then here we have, in verse, um, chapter 15, verse 16, James is summing up the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of, of, of this church of Jerusalem. And he says, And he quotes, he says, After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who call by my name, says the Lord who does all things. And he's quoting from Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. After this, I'll return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. What does he mean? Now, if you've got a version that says House of David, anybody got a version that says, I'll rebuild the House of David? It's a wrong version. Sorry about that. It's a wrong version. Because when it says House of David, it makes you think, oh, the line of David. Oh, he's talking about the fact that, you know, Jesus is the son of David. It doesn't say, I checked the Greek myself. It doesn't say house. It says tabernacle or tent. That's the Greek word. Tabernacle or tent, either of those words works. And so you say, well, what is this? Well, we know the tabernacle of Moses, don't we, in the wilderness. We know the tabernacle, or really, temple of Solomon, don't we? So what is this? Did David build the temple? Let me know. No. He got the stuff ready, didn't he? But God said, I don't want you building it. I want Solomon to build it. So what is this tabernacle, this tent that is going to be restored? Well, let's have a look. Let's go to 1 1 Chronicles 13, verse 7. Remember when the Ark of the Covenant was carried off by the Philistines... And then the Ark of the Covenant delivered itself and came rolling back to Israel. Do you remember that? And it hadn't been brought back into the center of his people. And as soon as David became king, he wanted to restore the tabernacle to the center of... Sorry, not the tabernacle, the Ark to the center of his people. He wanted to retrieve it. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 7... 
well, verse 5. So David gathered all Israel to get together from Shihor in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kidrath-Jerem. And David and all of Israel went up to Bala to Kirath-Jerem, which belonged to Judah, to bring up the ark of God the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinabab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, singing on harps and stringed instruments and tambourines, cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand on the ark, and he died before, there before God. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez-Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day, and he said, how can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him to the city of David, but he left it in the house of Obed-Edom, and everything that Obed-Edom had was blessed. All right? But now, if we go to 1 Chronicles 15, and verse 1 to 3, David does it again. David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it, or tabernacle. Tent. Tabernacle. It's the tabernacle, the tent of David. Can you see that? That we read in Acts. How many have never, first time you've ever heard it? Just wave at me. It's interesting. So most of you know all about this already. Okay. And he said, no one may carry the ark but the Levites, for God has chosen to carry the ark ministering forever. Then David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place where he'd prepared for it. Then David assembled the children of Aaron, etc., etc., and I don't have time to read all this, but they, they, the whole people were before the ark in the tent of David, and they worshipped, verse 28, shouting, trumpets, cymbals, music. David wore a linen ephod. Verse 27, what's that? A priestly garment. And he was with the singers, and he was whirling and dancing and praising, and Michelle, or Michael, his, Saul's daughter, hated it. This is really important. Why? Because David was operating in the order of the house of Melchizedek. The only other person that had a revelation of the priesthood of Melchizedek, apart from Abraham and the New Testament, Jesus did not Paul, but in the Old Testament, was David. Turn to Psalm 110. R.T. was telling me that this psalm is the most quoted of all Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament, and I never even thought about that. Psalm 110, verse 1. This is a psalm of David. This is a revelation of David. I'm preaching this. I can't prove this, but I wonder whether this psalm came to David in between the time when Uzzah was killed for touching the ark and the time when he brought the ark into his tent. I wonder... I don't know, but whether between those times, what changed in David to bring it into Jerusalem? I wonder if this revelation changed it. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength and Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers or willing in the day of your power. 
in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And I think that David had this, well, he certainly had a revelation of Melchizedek. David knew the difference between the Levitical priesthood and Melchizedek. And look what he did. Why did he put, he put the ark in full view of everybody under a tent? It's not, wasn't it a locked up tent? When it's a tabernacle, it was just a roof over the ark. It was there. Everybody could see the tent, tabernacle, sorry, the ark. Everybody had seen it marched in. People were praising and dancing. And he got the whole of Israel, and they began priestly worship, but not according to the order of Levite, did they? They were singing, they were dancing, they were praising, and David had an ephod on, a priestly garment. He's not of the house of Levi, and he is lead worshipper. Now, this makes sense because David... David, I believe, was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, and it would make sense because Jesus is the son of David. And he was a king priest, wasn't he? And as a young boy, he had priestly giftings. He, um, he, had a, uh, he was a worshipping warrior. Think of David as a psalmist. Uh, when they chose David in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, a good place to go to, I don't have time to read it, but 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, they chose him because he had a gifting in psalms and worship and he was a great warrior. He was these two things. The great psalms, all these psalms that we have, David didn't write them all, but you know, he was the initiator of a whole new way of worshipping. It wasn't Levitical. It, it was, it was um, worship that was inspirational, prophetic, spontaneous. It was a worship revolution. And David, the warrior priest, the king, king, you know, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, priest of Salem, priest of peace, priest of peace. David was king of righteousness, priest of Shalom, and he was launching a worship revolution. You know, before David, they were just coming in and they were doing their sacrifices and doing their incense and everything like that. It was nothing like this before David. David ushered this in. The worship that we see here is the spontaneous, anointed, loud, musical, dancing ministry to an ark that is not separated from the people. At that time, in the tabernacle or tent of David, everybody was ministering in the Holy of Holies. Because there wasn't a temple. And, and just think that when Solomon built the temple of Levi again, well, not again for the first time, the temple, then everybody was shut out. I mean, they, could hard, they couldn't get to where the holy place, the Holy of Holies... Only one person could ever see the ark once a year and it was the high priest and he'd better be on his best behaviour. But before that, under David, there was a Melchizedek anointing where all God's people were open. This is why when Jesus died, didn't he break the veil in two? Saying everybody has access to the presence of God. This is the order of Melchizedek. And he's speaking about this. And we see this Psalm 10 again and again in the New Testament. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. 
This is what RT is preaching at the moment. I never thought about it. He's saying, Jesus is not coming back until all his enemies are under submission. All his enemies. And I was in the car with him, and he said this to me. He said, even death. Even death is the last enemy. So death. So what RT is saying is that, is that when Jesus returns, it will be after the resurrection of believers. Because when the believers are resurrected, death has been conquered. I'm getting excited about this revelation. But let me just finish this off. I might have to beg five minutes of you. Let's go to, to some of these. We've seen Psalm 110 here in Hebrews, in various parts of Hebrews. But also we know that Jesus spoke about this in Mark chapter 12, verse 35. Mark 12, verse 35. Then Jesus answered and said, Mark 12, 35. Then Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, By the Holy Spirit... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And what Jesus is saying, Jesus is referring to the priestly order of Melchizedek. Because that's what that psalm's all about, isn't it? The Lord said to my Lord. For you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is speaking back to this Melchizedek priestly psalm and he's basically saying I was before David that's why I think he was the Melchizedek the original Melchizedek that came out we don't know his past we don't know his future it might have been just a normal person and we don't know and therefore it's an illustration or a type but it could also be Jesus it's certainly a type of Jesus at its lowest form we've looked at Acts chapter 2 haven't we oh no we haven't we've, we've looked at Acts chapter um, 15, restoring the, the tabernacle or tent of David, which is the Melchizedek ministry. Well, let's go to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, nonetheless. The day of Pentecost, the sermon explaining the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 34, Peter preaching. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord... Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. In verse 33, he says, Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God. Peter understands the order of Melchizedek. This different priesthood that's got nothing to do with Moses, nothing to do with Aaron, nothing to do with Lev Levites, nothing to do with the law or the temple. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is proclaiming that our great high priest has entered into the Holy of Holies on our behalf and lives evermore to make us intercession. And Peter, by quoting this psalm, is saying that Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And then finally, Matthew 26. There's other passages, but this is enough. Matthew 20, in introduction. Matthew 26. Verse 26. Do you remember what the high priest came out with to Abraham? Bread and wine. And here, this, here, this is not just a one-off 
Passover meal. It's the institution of what we do this morning. It's what we do in our cells. We do this. Why? Because we're part of this priestly order. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine now until that day when I drink it new in my Father's kingdom. So we have a new covenant, not the old covenant, not the old covenant of the law, Moses and Levi. That's passed away now for all that believe. But the new covenant, which is a new covenant, but it isn't a new covenant. It is, but it isn't. It is because it's no longer the law, it's something new, but it is the same covenant that Abraham had. Galatians tells us that the gospel was preached to Abraham, that, that we are sons of Abraham. Abraham was in this. Of course he had, and, and Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. I wonder if that was the day when he met him and he brought out bread and wine, if that was, you know, pre-incarnation manifestation. Abraham saw it, Abraham saw it, was part of it. It's the same covenant, Melchizedek. And Jesus here in his priestly ministry. But it, the last time he did this was to Abraham. All those years ago when he came out. And now, fully man incarnated, fully God. Now he comes to his disciples. And what does he give to them? Bread. And wine. And blesses them. And says, do this as often as you remember. This is why there's great power in communion time. It's not just a mental remembrance. When we do that, the presence of God and the covenant of God and the blessing of God, like with Abraham, comes into our lives. So what I've sought to do in introduction today, as we're looking at the priesthood of all believers, is explain to you very briefly... The, an introduction to what priesthood we are part of and who our high priest is. It has absolutely nothing to do with the law at all in any shape, way, or form. That is finished for the believer. But when, when we read that, that passage from two, 1 Peter 9 verse 8, I hope after this session it's going to mean a little bit more to you when you hear that you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What does that mean? It means you are royal. You're not just a priest. You're a priest warrior. You're sharing the authority of Christ. The Levites were not warriors. They could not fight, and they had no kingly authority. They were purely to minister in the temple. But you, you have authority before God and before man. You have authority Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. So this priestly ministry is a warrior priestly ministry with an incredible worship ministry to the Father modeled by David, with full access to the presence of God. We don't need any temple. It's the tabernacle of David again, and we can go right there and worship like they did. We are ministering to the Lord like David. And, and I tell you what, if David could minister to the Lord like he did in the Old Testament, 
We've got a long way to go, and we should overtake him in the New Testament, shouldn't we? Because we got, we got the fullness of it all. We, we got the baptism of the Spirit. And we're ministering to God in the tabernacle of David, but also we'll be interceding in our lives and our witnessing and our prayers for London. In this book, this priestly ministry book, there's also a section on evangelism and putting down people to intercede for that God would save them, and, and that we might have opportunities to witness to them. That is as much part of our priestly ministry as worshipping and praising the Lord. And next week, we are going to be looking a little bit more about our place in this priesthood of Melchizedek on the earth. We, we've seen what it is in introduction. We've seen what Jesus has done. But what does it mean for us to be a priest? God bless you.